Welcome to Wild and Exposed. Your number one adventure, nature, and outdoor photography podcast. Wild and Exposed is hosted by Mike Morrow, Ron Hayes, Jason Loftus, and Mark Raycroft. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed podcast, the uh, open your carbonated bottle version of Wild and Exposed right during the intro. Sorry. (laughs) We've got a catch-up episode for you today. That was Mike, by the way, opening the bottle. And we're glad to have Michael back. It's been a while. We were able to get another podcast in yesterday uh, with just Michael and I and a couple guests. But this time we've got the whole crew, Jason, Mike, and Ron. How are you guys doing? Doing doing good. Doing good, yeah. Just been busy, but... um you know, trying to get out as much as I can. It's turkey season, right? So, is it? Um, it is already. It is. Yep, they are. They are starting to strut, and the grouse is starting to get active, and you know, start to start. It's time to start thinking about all that good stuff. So that's always fun. That's a good time of year. Yeah, that's kind of fun. And I know it is because it snowed enough that they closed the roads. That's how I know it's time to get out. <laughs> oh, did you get enough <laughs> snow in Wyoming to close the highways or something? Yeah. And it's it's back to tonight. It's supposed to be back to two below, and this is supposed to be almost springtime. Two below, isn't that a city somewhere? Two below, two below, <laughs> might be Mississippi. Yeah, two below. <laughs> I think it's two below, not oh, two below. I think you're Dang right, it. but it sounds good enough. <laughs> Close. It did yep. sound good though. <laughs> That's a suburb. <laughs> yeah, there. <laughs> two below is a suburb of Tupelo. You know, I don't. It's not that I hate to say it because I don't mind the snow at all, but we are in dire need of as much as we can get this spring because we didn't get much at all this winter. It was it was pretty dry. Is that true for like Colorado, Utah, New Mexico, Wyoming, all that's pretty dry? Did it stay dry all, all winter long? We've had a couple storms, but they've been here and gone, and you know it's it's been 60 degrees several times this winter. And now, you know, it's nice to get these cold spurts, too, because this, what happens when it bumps these spring s- storms a lot of times is it gets warm enough coming in behind it that it melts and all the all the moisture just runs down the river instead of absorbing into the ground. So as it gets cooler and then warms up slower, that moisture then is absorbed into the ground a little bit more and it, it makes for a, a better spring growth when it comes time so we're not too far away from that but i'm hoping we get a little bit more of this and i love to photograph grouse in the snow so there's that which ones anyone in particular sage grouse spruce grouse no you got don't spruce grouse sage grouse are my favorite in the snow we don't have spruce grouse but sage grouse are far and away my favorites and then sharp tails uh, sharp tails in the snow you know we had when we did that trip with you and mark and i here we had sharp tails in the snow one of the two times i remember that and those things are great too because they when they're kicking snow up when they they stomp their feet you know so fast the snow comes with it and that makes for a a better image too and and slow motion video as well and that is the goal this spring is to get some good footage i've never i've never shot uh the sharpies in the snow 
And it's actually kind of rare in my experience to shoot the grouse in the snow or the sage grouse too in the snow. You know, it's, it is. I've only had it a couple times, and and it was in the same lick actually. But the the shots turn out fantastic. That color, you know, against the against the backdrop of the snow really pops. Yeah, it, to me, it's like it's always a balance of not a, not too much snow, so you can actually get to the lick, and then. <laughs> still having some snow hanging around when they start doing their thing so that you can get them in the snow and uh, kind of everything has to come together, you know, but yeah, the time we did it, Ron, when we did get that snow, I remember it was, I had mud on my truck for like six months afterwards. Cause it was just so gooey and that's right. <laughs> we spent about an hour and a half at the car wash trying to get Mike's truck clean and didn't do it. He still found mud later when he got back to Denver. I was going 70 miles miles an hour down the interstate, and it was still just like a vibration because the tires were all out of balance because all the mud. <laughs> yeah, I thought, well, it'll come the off. on the it'll rooms. Come off. Yeah, yeah, it was bad. <laughs> that stuff stuck for, it was like six yeah. months. And we never really, didn't really get off road. I mean, it that was just on the county That was roads. main county road stuff. I had that same experience this weekend. You know, actually, I went and... Did, went south for a little bit with some friends and was going down there to just do some early spring camp and ride and get out, maybe maybe get lucky, find a shed or two or something. And, um, yeah, we we uh, <laughs> we got the truck and the trailer and the forwarders into some, some fun situations. And when I got back on Sunday afternoon, I just left it outside because it was so bad. And Monday after work, I went and uh, spent, I don't know, about $60 and about – two hours at the car wash trying, trying to get all the mud off everything, you know? So it's just, it's just part of the fun, you know? So, <laughs> you know what the trick is to that in the summertime, not, not the springtime when it's freezing, but just put a sprinkler on and stick it underneath your truck and just, you know, put, drive your truck on, on the grass, put the sprinkler under there and just let the sprinkler go. And all that mud will just slowly come off. That's a good idea. Hmm. Pro tip. The old line. That's a good trick. That's a pro tip. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That's a pro tip. <laughs> that one's for free. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been on an edit marathon for the last three or four days since I got back and just trying to catch up with everything you guys did. And you guys did one with uh, Jimmy B. Mm-hmm. That was mm-hmm. awesome. I really yeah, dig his vibe and what he's guy. got going on. Yep. I was, uh, I've been... You know, working on my van and then going and doing the shoot, you don't get a ton of exercise. And I try to stay in shape so that when I am out doing stuff, it's not as hard as it should be, right? So today I was in there working on the one ab that I have. And <laughs> I was uh, watching Jimmy B's videos. And he's only got like 600 views on it. Y'all need to go watch. And I think, Jason, you referred to it in the in the episode or in that podcast there's some good stuff in there. I mean, it's nothing, no high production value or anything. And he's just sitting there talking about, well, okay, here's what I'm going to do. Or here's what I'm looking for. Or here's what I just saw. But you get to see some pretty cool behavior. And the way he does it is super cool to, yeah. to go out and camp out there by himself. And you guys talked about that a lot in the podcast where he just likes to, he'll pass up the main crowds or go find a place in some remote area and just start set up his own thing which yeah that takes a lot of gumption it does you know we've talked about it before but it's you know he's getting rewarded in different ways because of it right i mean he talked about it on there too but 
Yeah, I really I envy him for his uh, his driving that and you know taking the leap and doing what he's doing. And I'm kind of shocked too. I think he just needs to get his these videos in front of the, in front of the right people because um, every one of them I've watched I've really enjoyed. You know, and I'm not a big YouTube guy. I really am not. I just I don't spend a lot of my spare time doing that stuff. Um, but I I look forward to watching his videos. I really do. So yeah, it's pretty cool. And he's a really nice yeah, guy. Super just, nice guy. You know, you're really happy for him. Yep. Well, for my workouts, you know, I'll try to do 60 minutes riding a bike or doing whatever, you know, indoors this time of year. And so I have the TV right in front of me. 60 minutes goes by like that if you're watching something cool and you're really into it. So that's what it was great for me. It's I was watching all of his Alaska Bear stuff and just, some, you know, he just takes you there pretty much. And you're just super mm -hmm. excited for him and what he's going to see or what he's going to film, what he's going to. He switches between video and stills and what he's going to eat. Yeah, yeah, and how often he eats. <laughs> Sometimes he doesn't eat for a day or two, right? What's right? funny. So good job on that one. I really like that one. And and I really want to see you all go look at some of his videos because they are pretty cool. And then I put four of those videos in the show notes, so they're really easy to find right there. And then I think I'm going to make – Right, right when I finished working out, I was watching one where he had a mama and a cub that were like playing. And I don't know if you filmed it over one or two days, but it's just, you want to guarantee to put a smile on your face watching that stuff. Watching a mama and a baby mm -hmm. bear just play fighting and just having fun, rolling around. I mean, I sent it to four or five people and said, man, this is guaranteed to put a smile on your face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I want to see those up around, what, 100,000 views? Yeah, should be. Right, yeah. So, Michael, you've been away for a while. You had an editing marathon because Jason and I have had a recording marathon while you've been gone. No kidding. <laughs> you done good. So, um, where have you, well, as far as what you can say, you, right. you've been way north in alaska for way. this time of year yep and had some and i don't know if we talked about any of that before i left did we i think no i don't i don't mm -hmm. think we did i don't think so so i was just minding my own business working on my van trying to get it done just doing some updates for you know now that i've lived in it for a year i was like okay this would be better if this was changed and this was changed so i took it down and was working on it at my folks place where i actually have a heated place to work on it and um i get this call from a buddy and he's like hey what you doing and i'm like just working on my van and left it at that i didn't even think about a shoot or anything because i'm like it's winter there's nothing going on and he's like you should call me because i have a shoot and i'm like oh okay that'd be cool maybe we're gonna go to florida or louisiana <laughs> or somewhere cool Contra you know, costa rica <laughs> <laughs> and he's like um <laughs> So we have the shoot in the Arctic and right there I'm like super excited, but then I'm super like nervous. I'm thinking, do I really want to go to the Arctic in February? You know, cause until <laughs> you've actually done it, I don't know that I didn't know what to expect. You know, I just wasn't sure. I mean, can you stay warm at minus 40 degrees? The good thing is cameras don't work very well at minus 40. I found out. <laughs> so <laughs> minus 25 is about where they'll work 
normally. So I really never even went out unless it was minus 25 or above. But yeah, it was super cool. Beautiful country. Staying warm at minus 45 is not that hard. It really just requires this right gear. And then obviously having mm-hmm. a, a good camp and, you know, just the right pieces of gear and, and it's fine. And he talked to a lot of the locals and they're like just rolling their eyes because I look like such a wimp. They're like, oh my God, another another newbie scared <laughs> to death to go out in the woods. I wasn't scared to death, but I certainly was. You know, you just don't know. You just, you don't know what you don't know. So, but once you get out there and if you're dressed right for it, it's really not that big of a deal. It got to the point where you get kind of acclimated to it. You know, by the end of the trip, it was minus 10 and you could go out in just like a little puffy jacket and, you know, thin type of glove. And I couldn't spend eight hours like that, like I was doing, but I could probably spend an hour out there like that. And that was fine. But we were sitting in blinds for about six to eight hours a day. So you definitely have to have the right clothes. To be sitting. Yeah, for sure. To be sitting. <laughs> yeah. So. But it does present cool. some challenges. I mean, you have to have the right gear. But even if you have the right gear, that presents challenges in running the camera and, and things like that. So that had to that had to take some getting used to. Yeah, I wore mittens the whole time, and you just can't run a camera with mittens on. So I would just leave them on, and then something showed up. I would just shake them off and then start running it. But at minus 25, your hands get pretty cold pretty fast. So you just got to kind of monitor. <laughs> you know, you're constantly having to manual focus that lens, so you really can't, as long as there's something out there, unless you're just sitting still. But, you know, you guys know. You get out there and you get excited. You get excited about something, and you don't even think about how cold you are mm-hmm. for a little while until the action right. dies down, and then then all of a sudden you're like, "Oh man, I can't feel my finger." Yeah. <laughs> get back in the so, vehicle, and oh man, I still can't <laughs> feel my finger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we got you, flown out. We were, I don't know. I think we were forty to fifty miles away from the nearest road gravel road and probably 200 miles from the nearest paved road so pretty cool mm-hmm. um the camp was super awesome there's definitely a style of tent that you want to have to make yeah, it so tell me about that because i was looking at i was looking at the uh what are they called arctic oven yep so the- it's a tent made by an alaskan company and they call them the, the arctic ovens And I was talking to another guy yesterday, and he said, you know, those tents are great for that weather, but you don't want to use them in any other kind of weather because they're too warm. You know, they're just Mm -hmm. too much. But um, they're built to have a wood stove in it, so just a lot like a Kafaru teepee. I don't know you guys are probably familiar with that. Mm -hmm. You can get those little titanium stoves. This came with a – I don't think it was titanium. I think it was just really thin steel, these little stoves and stovepipe and – just little, I don't know, maybe 18 inches long and maybe an 8 inch by 8 inch opening. But you just put that full of wood and or get a fire going and then fill it. You probably last, seems like I would put it in at like 10 o'clock at night and I could still have coals at like 3 o'clock in the morning. And then I was, I was uh, waking up at 3. I was drinking lots of water so that I purposely had to get up to go pee to go look for northern lights and then also look for 
or uh, put more wood in the fire. So I never really let that fire go out, mostly because I didn't want to wake up at minus 40 and have to start a fire. <laughs> yeah. It's a good incentive. But now, if having done it now, it probably wouldn't be that big of a deal to let the fire go out. The one guy that set up the camp was laughing. He's like, you don't want to do that. You don't want to have it so hot in there all the time that you never have to start a new fire, which is how I did it. He said the better way to do it is to, <laughs> you know, get it warmed up, go to bed, and then let the fire go out. Because we're we the bad thing is is you're on snow, so if you get it too hot and you get all that radiant heat coming off the stove, then you start melting the snow underneath the tent, and yeah. then you start getting these divots, and then it's got a canvas floor. So if you step in those divots, then you can actually shift the stove. You see, so you could have a huge problem by start, you know, something could just fall over and you're not going to kill anything or you're going to destroy a tent, which then could leave you sleeping outside, you know, if you weren't watching it. So uh, I learned a lot there. I don't think I would have to do it as much as we did it. The thing is, is we had a kid that was working in the camp that would um, keep us with firewood and he was doing just all the things around camp. And he was just a super ambitious kid that. He had more wood than we could use. So that was easy to keep the fire going because I could, before I went to bed, I could load up with an armful of wood. And, and you know, if you were out there by yourself or <laughs> if you were limited on wood, then I think you would manage it a whole lot differently. Did you have your, did you have your own tent? Yeah, well, I shared one with um, one of the directors that was on the shoot. So we had two tents set up. We had a, the camp manager and our guide was in one tent, and then me and the director were in another tent. And then we actually had a third tent that was set up just for gear. And that was mostly because if we got a huge windstorm or something, that gear would get covered up with snow. That's the other thing up there is that it's so cold that there's mm -hmm. no moisture in that snow at all. So if a wind starts, it just, it's just you know, powder. It covers everything yeah. up. Yeah, it's just powder. So having that, that right. gear-style mm -hmm. tent, it was big enough that we could drive a snowmobile into it, which was plenty of space. You learn really quickly how to manage your gear in cold weather, too. I never, ever warmed up that camera. Yeah. I left it outside the whole time. Hmm. So that made a huge difference. There were certain cables that I would take inside and warm them up, you know, just because they would get so stiff that I was afraid I was going to break mm -hmm. a cable, you know, by not by forcing it. So cables I was carrying inside, or else I would put them in my jacket and try to warm them up with my body heat. So... There's lots of little things like that. The camera did fine up to about minus 25. That was kind of my cutoff, like I said earlier. If we could get to minus 28, minus 25, I would turn the camera on and go. And then what did you guys do for power? Did you have generators or did you have solar or both? We had both. And there were a few sunny days where we could use solar. But mostly I had... I had a lot of little individual batteries, mm -hmm. and those we would charge using the generator. But we tried not to use the generator too much just because you're out there in the wilderness. We, we weren't on wilderness property. You can't run a generator in a wilderness area, but right. we were on other land where we could. But it's just so peaceful out there. You don't want a generator running all the time. So we um, would limit that as much as we could, but they'd given me this great big battery box. 
So I had four lithium batteries. I don't even know. I should have taken a picture of them because I want to build one of those for myself. But that thing would run the camera for two days, eight hours a day without charging it in that mm-hmm. cold temperatures. So that thing was pretty awesome. Wow. You mentioned, too, that you, as long as you had the right gear, you could stay warm pretty easy. Um, maybe what what kind of gear were you using that kept you so warm? And- so I didn't own any. Of the, I owned a few things. So then I, when I got the call, I was like, oh, my, I've got to figure out what I need. And then you really don't want to just go buy stuff because you just you want to get the right stuff. Fortunately, ended up where the guy that I was working with, he had a lot of extra gear. So... What you do is you just want to layer up just like we always do. I had a really decent base layer out of wool, that merino wool. And then I would wear these puffy pants. Have you guys ever seen? I think Sitka makes a, a pair of puffy pants that have zippers on the side. Mm-hmm. But they're not super thick. They're like a... Yep. They're a mid-layer kind of a... Yeah. 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 So I had those for, for my bottoms. And then I had serious pair of puffy pants that were they're not puffy pants as in fragile puffy pants they were they had a layer on the outside that you could actually kneel down and you're you don't you're not scared about uh ripping them so it's like a cordura or how do they say that cordura fabric so that was the bottom layer so merino wool puffy pant puffy pant and i never ever got cold there in fact a lot of times i'm unzipping them on the side vents just to let air in if you're moving around at all you, you start sweating and then on top i had similar situation where i'd have the base layer then i wore a puffy you know just some sort of a puffy jacket preferably one that has a hood if you have one like that and then on top of that have you guys seen those canada goose jackets mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i had one of those that that belonged to the guy he just let me use it i looked online they're like fifteen hundred dollars <laughs> but they're worth I it. Bet. After, they're do, after doing what I did, it's seriously worth yeah. it. They have a great big hood on them, which is great for staying warm. It's bad for watching for wildlife because it just creates this little tunnel out in front of your face. And that's good because you get this little microclimate going on in front of your face in that little hood part, and that's why they do that. But you really lose your peripheral vision when you have it on, but that jacket just kept you super warm. Tons of pockets. And then for gloves, I had a light weight layer of glove. And then I would wear my mittens on the top. Have you guys seen those OR mittens? They're um, mm-hmm. outdoor think research oh. or whatever. Yeah. Yep. yeah, outdoor research. They're super puffy. You can't do anything in them other than. But they're the kind of glove where if your hands are cold, it's the only pair of gloves that I've ever been able to put my hands in and actually warm up. You know, when your hands get to a certain point where they're just cold, you know how they just never warm up? These mittens, you can actually warm up inside. So those helped a ton. And then for my boots, he said, I got you a pair of boots. And everybody up in Alaska wears these, what they call bunny boots. They're like a uh, uh, military boot. Mm. Mickey Mouse boots, they used to call them. Is that the same one? uh, Yeah, they're all white. Mm -hmm. And everybody had those. So I was assuming that's what I was going to get. But when I showed up, he actually had a pair. They were from Cabela's. And I was like, uh, I don't know. I don't trust this. You know, some of the Cabela stuff is good. Some of it is just not. You know, there's it's functional, but a lot of times it's not high performance. So I was a little worried, but, man, these boots were the ticket. 
Hmm. I could sit out there for eight hours. Not with just the boot. The boot was pretty helpful, but I would take a toe warmer and put it mm-hmm. on the top of my sock, on the top of my foot, and then put my foot in there. So I was with an Alaskan guide from Fairbanks, and he was he'd go three or four hours and he'd be fine, but after that he'd be like shaking and he'd be looking for stuff to put over his shoes and and he'd look over at me and I'm like just fine. <laughs> and finally one day he's like, "What are you doing?" He's like, how come you're not freezing your butt off? I was like, well, I don't know. You see what I got. And I failed to mention that I had toe warmers. Oh, just that small little detail. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, and you know, these Alaskans, they don't, they're like, oh, we don't need none. We don't need that stuff. So I gave him a pair and he's like, oh, these are, these are pretty good. (laughs) So uh, the thing is, is they didn't work that good in those bunny boots because they're all rubber. And I think for those toe warmers to work properly, they have to have a little bit of air movement over them. Right. And the boots I had had a little bit of, they weren't exactly the right size. They were a little bit big for me, but I think that worked well because it had another layer of, layer of uh, like air insulation around my feet. Hmm. Hmm. So, Interesting. Yeah, I'm definitely going to go buy. If I do another shoot like that, I'll go buy my own stuff, except for the jacket. And what were the... What were the boots called? I'll have to look it up. I'll put a link in the show notes. But I was down at Cabela's here in Anchorage, and I saw them. They were selling. They're like two hundred fifty bucks. That's so not, they're that's not bad for a good boot, though. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'll spend five hundred dollars on a pair of hiking right. boots that'll last me a couple, two or three years. But hmm. two hundred fifty bucks on a pair of snow boots, I thought was pretty reasonable. Right, and you'll probably and think- after using them, right, and they'll probably yeah, last yeah. you a heck of a lot longer than just two or three years because you're only going to wear them. In the snow, more than likely, and not that often, you know. So, yeah, and you don't really hike in them because they're not made for hiking. I mean, those soles are so. I mean, it it raised me up a couple of inches mm-hmm. in height, you know. So I think what it does is put so much. So if you're standing on ice, you know, you just start freezing, right? But it just comes up through the bottom of your foot or the bottom of your shoe, and these didn't have that at all. So mm-hmm. I'll put a link in the show notes if I can find the actual. Uh, brand or not the brand but the style that we used yeah very cool so yeah so next question did you get to film any aurora it wasn't on my shot list for this one but yeah we i just about every night that it was clear i would go out it was you know you're far enough north that you're underneath that oval so you're Mm -hmm. in a pretty good spot it's still not as good as like drew being in churchill where they're oftentimes straight up it was always off on the horizon, but yeah, I saw it a bunch of nights and I didn't even take a camera, you know, a stills camera. So, and it was, since it was on my shot list, I really didn't have a camera that would shoot Aurora, like whatever that Sony, what is it? A7S3. Yeah. Isn't that the one that's low light? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't yep. have one of those even. So I ended up shooting a lot of pictures with just my phone mm-hmm. and <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> what your phone can do. I was blown away. <laughs> Did I send you guys any pictures of, the, of that? No. <laughs> That's why. Otherwise, I wouldn't have asked. I would have just said. Oh. <laughs> well, I'll have to. I'll share a picture with you right now just so you can see. But it's, uh, you know, you have those tents glowing in the dark because we had a couple of Coleman lanterns. You know, the oh, big yeah. lantern, the kerosene lantern. And that, too, I was told by a buddy. Because when I first got the call, I you know, like I said earlier, I was a little nervous. I'm like, do I really want to do this? Am I really going to go up there and freeze my butt off for three weeks? 
And uh, I said, if there's one thing that you were going to take, what would you take? And my buddy was like, take a kerosene lantern. Because he wasn't assuming that I'd have a stove. He said, that kerosene lantern will give off enough heat in a tent where you can actually dry your clothes out. Hmm. If you if you just run it, you know, over the course of an evening as you're cooking dinner and doing that sort of thing. So we had those inside the tent. And they, it was true. I did put off a lot of heat off the top of those lanterns. I'll send you guys a pic. And then I'll put a pic on the show notes so you can kind of see what's going on with those tents. And this is just a little bit of post-processing, but not a ton. Oh, sweet. And that's with your phone. That's with my phone. Wow. That's <laughs> crazy. Isn't that amazing? It is wild. Did you edit it at all? I took the, I added some contrast and then I um, used that dehaze filter a little bit. But that huh. was it. I didn't do anything else really to it. You we had to go in stars. and. Yeah, isn't that amazing? And I'm hand holding my phone. I'm just right. sitting out there hand holding it. So the image <laughs> stabilization built in with the phone, and then I don't know, it's like a three second exposure. <laughs> wow. It's, it's mind boggling. So anyhow, we ended up getting what we were supposed to get, not as much as I thought I was going to get, but I, I was able to shoot what I was supposed to shoot, and um, there was uh, two shoots going on. One was through February, and the next one was going to be through March. I actually was loving it so much that I tried to get on the March shoot. It was two different production companies, so they had already set the schedule and had their people all set up, so chances were pretty slim, but I was ready to volunteer for the whole, a whole another three weeks if I could have. So anyway, that was my trip. You guys, we had all planned a trip to Yellowstone, and I know you guys got out there. I didn't get a chance to go because it was during the same time. How did that go? How did that Yellowstone thing turn out? Yeah, I think it turned out really well. Um, I mean, it was slower than we expected. You know, speaking to the snow situation earlier, I mean, Yellowstone's in the same boat as the whole West is, I think, with the lack of snow and lack of moisture. Um, We were – it's the first year I've ever gone to – um, the park there and been able to see most of the sagebrush and lots of bare ground on the south facing slopes that's how little snow there was in middle of february in yellowstone so that's that's as lo- that's the lightest i've ever seen it um and that acts absolutely affected the it had an impact on the uh on the amount of critters that we were seeing right and how because uh, there's theories that we all have, right, about why are the critters are closer to the road. Obviously, it's an easy path for them to use when the snow's deeper than that. Um, but we also felt like, you know, maybe that snow pushes them down lower, obviously. And then you know, it seems like we see a lot of uh, coyotes and foxes hunting closer to the roads. Um, and I don't remember where we talked about this, Ron, but I think we may have talked about it on one of the other shows. But um, one of the theories that um, some friends of ours found out from a biologist that they were on an, an interior trip with was that the lack of snow, um, the, the voles and the mice and stuff that the fox and the coyotes eat, and this just makes a lot of sense, need, you know, a 10 to 12 inch layer of snow minimum to insulate them so they can actually live um, underneath the, the ground. And so when the snow's not that deep, then they either die or they're up higher and they move away from the roads anyway. So if they were there, the coyotes and them probably would still be hunting down there. But that's probably that. That's the suspicion is that they're just not able to survive this winter down low, 
So that keeps obviously the, the critters that are hunting them up higher as well. So, but we did have a really good fox encounter and we had some really good bison encounters. Um, and we felt like, you know, I felt like we got, uh, we had a good time. It's always fun just to hang with the guys and we had a, a house that we shared and, you know, that was the way to go. We had a good time cooking dinners and hanging out and just BSing and, you know, catching up with each other. And, um, yeah, was, overall, I was really happy with the way it went and felt like we got some images that made the trip worth it for sure. So what do you think, Ron? Yeah, same. Obviously, there were there were opportunities that we've never had before. Well, I, I shouldn't say opportunities. There were sightings that I've never had before. There was a mountain lion on the side of a cliff that, um, lots of people were watching with spotting scopes. It was way too far for images. I suppose if you cropped in to 1080 on the red, you could get some video, uh, but it was a long ways out there. And, uh, you know, on top of that, we did, we did see a lot of, a lot of wolves. They were just all well away from the road. There was one that I probably should have waited out just to get some video uh, if I would have been thinking, probably should have just set up and waited them out because they were sleeping when we were watching them. Um, they were a long ways out there, but like five minutes after we left, uh, actually, Peter, husband, we saw him and I think he stayed on them. And like five minutes after we left, they got up and howled all as a as a pack, you know just standing there howling, facing each other, turned away. Yeah, and, they were calling your name, Ron. You know, it would have been great. They're <laughs> calling my name. It would have been great video, but, you know, I got impatient. But we did run into a, a nice bull elk right after we left that scenario, too. And Jason and Kelly got some good images of him. I had to, I dropped uh, Ben Missy, who was with me, dropped him off to on the road to try to get some shots. And then I had to just keep moving. I was driving the vehicle and uh, get off the road so I couldn't shoot. And I did stop for Jason and Kelly when I was about to go in their <laughs> way just real quick and then kept going to the parking lot. But he was a good bull and he, was, he, he wasn't he was a great bull, but he was a good bull and he was in a good spot, you know, good backdrops. That was, I guess, when there's not a lot of activity, you can take the time to get some better backdrops or get yourself in a position to get you know a better composition and that was one thing that we did do with the sheep is uh, we did run into some bighorn rams and there was a couple respectable rams in that in that area and when we ran into the sheep I was able to climb and get eye level with them and in doing that was able to get just some clean mountains in the background um, and there was this guy down on the road at the bottom of the valley, you know, like three, three, four hundred feet below. And he's yelling out of his sunroof, asking me how many pictures of feeding sheep I can take. Well, it wasn't the feeding sheep. I was getting the in-between shots. Who was that? So, that guy. I let, I let him know how I felt about his comments. <laughs> something about read between the lines or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't no, say that. I, know. I said as many yeah. as I want. I think is is what I said. Uh, we had fun, man. We did. <laughs> no, it was a good time, and we had. There was a lot of otter activity 
So we did spend some time looking for otters. Never did get any shot opportunities, but there were slides everywhere. And not not just a single, you know, otter slide. These slides were like three feet wide where they'd been going down for days and days and days. So, you know, the before we got there, after we left, tons of otter pictures. Uh, just timing didn't work out for us, which was... You know, the first time I've ever seen that happen to Jason it happens to me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Is that whole park have a snow deficit, or is it just that northern part where you guys are at? Because it, it's a huge business to be having snowmobile. Uh, I don't know what they call them rides in there, or the what are the other vehicles that they the coaches, coaches. The snow coaches. Yeah. Were those still going in, and the were interior, they still on snow? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were still on snow in the interior. Uh, it's a little bit higher, but not much. Yeah, talking to people that had been in, and we ran into Kate and Adam Rice. They had just come out of the interior, and then Barrett and Twyla Hedges were up there also with a group ahead of us. And same thing, there just was the snow was just not there this year even even in the interior but of course you know there was enough in there for him to go in but it wasn't like in years past so when i go up the way i go i drive through west yellowstone to get you know to go up around to go to the north entrance and um going through west is usually a pretty good indication and west has usually got quite a bit of snow piled on the roofs and you know stacked up from all the plowing that they do and whatever and when i went through west i was just like shocked i was like wow i don't i don't know that i've personally seen it lower than it was then as well so yeah i, I think it was just it's just all across the west this year it's just been a, a significant mm -hmm. lack of moisture um utah's really feeling it too i mean everybody is and so everybody's praying for a lot of rain in the spring just to kind of help fill up reservoirs and you know all that good stuff but anyways you're going to say something about the house mike sorry yeah is it that was that the same house that I had stayed in when I was coming back from Alaska, and it was that you said it was perfect to be able to cook dinners and stuff. I mean, I think the cost right. when you share it with I don't know how many people you guys had, but three or four is pretty awesome, right? They had plenty of sleeping room for us. You know, we stuck the two bears in the bedrooms. You know, that's the <laughs> the, the loud snores, Ron and myself, <laughs> um, and then the young buck stayed in the bunk bed area, and then. Kelly had the other end of the house so he could stay away from us and get some sleep. But my point is it was plenty big and there's plenty of room and, um, you know, there was even some hide of beds that didn't get used at all either. So, um, yeah. And when you split it with a bunch of folks, it's really not that bad, you know, very, very reasonable. So. Yeah. I think you can get down to super eight rates by the time you Absolutely. start sharing. You split it with enough people. Yep. Yeah. And there was, even with all the gear we had, well, in particular the gear I had, there was plenty of room to, to spread out and that room that Kelly had, you know, we all could have housed our gear in there. It was, it was really nice yeah. accommodations for a trip like that. And it's nice to come back and, and be able to sit around and cook for yourself and take your time and not fight the crowds at the local restaurant and that kind of thing, which we did one night. Yeah, we did. But we crammed, I think. Got to see a ton of people. Yeah, we did. That listeners of the podcast and, and, uh, past guests of the podcast and that was that was kind of fun got to have dinner with several folks there at the house and then dinner with some other folks at the at the restaurant uh manual manual rivera 
uh, was up from Texas. He had been there for what a week ahead of us, I think, mm-hmm. at least. Jason, yeah. and he just killed it. I mean, he had otters with full color cutthroat trout. He got a dipper, you know, and we all we all have seen dippers, and they're fun to film and watch. And and uh, he got a dipper with a trout fry that it had caught, and he got the full sequence of it smashing this little tiny fish off a rock to kill it and then eating it got the whole sequence i've never seen a dip with anything but an insect right and he got that thing with a trout it was i told him i i was yelling at him the whole trip (laughs) you gotta submit that somewhere that's nobody's got that shot (laughs) that's for wyoming wildlife right yeah it was pretty neat so was he shooting stills or video Okay. Stills. And then what were you doing? Stills he and video. Stills. He did get a couple video clips, I think. Um, I did both. I got a little bit of video. There wasn't really, I mean, bison, they're good for stills, but they're not great for video unless it's during the rut, you know. Um, so I got primarily stills of that. I got a little bit of video, a very little bit of video of the fox encounter we had just because it was it was tough to get set up and it was moving constantly. So I ended up handheld instead of on the tripod trying to keep moving. Um, and then the sheep got a little bit of video of them as well. And were you shooting your red or were you shooting your but, DSLR? Uh, I took the red just in case we got something good. And it, and like I said, in hindsight, it was all set up and I should have probably set it up on those wolves because I could have gotten a little bit more reach with that even. Um, but I did, I got most of the video clips with the uh, R5. Got a, fi- a coyote eating a coyote carcass, eating on a coyote carcass, and I got quite a bit of footage of that. Maybe you need to buy your own shot over. I do need to buy my own shot over. And a, and a I don't know, I don't want to do this with $7 a gallon gas, but <laughs> buy the Ford Raptor with that nice suspension <laughs> in it. <laughs> with the shot over in the back and, and have that boom. You get gimbal. like a six hundred thousand dollars set up and you sell back. some clips for like a thousand bucks. Right? <laughs> no kidding. Fifty dollars for a couple of seconds of footage, you know. It'd be fun though. <laughs> oh yeah. Without a doubt. I'd everything would be filmed, I can tell you that. <laughs> I will say this, and Mike, you already know this, but just for the listeners, it was kinda there's a couple times it's kind of funny. We we pull over and you know there's something going on and we're kind of we jump out, grab our cameras and start shooting away and that. And then counter kind of ends and we go back to the vehicle and start putting stuff away. And Ron's still just getting his camera set up, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I think he kind of gave up on yeah. the red there because he was trying to make it work, you know. And it just was a time. Just the things were happening so fast, you know that it's. It's hard, man. It's hard to get the camera set up yeah. and do what you got to do. But unless you, you know, if that mountain light would have been closer, obviously I'd have sat on that for a couple of days. But um, it, it was way out there, like mile and a half out there. Well, then, then there ended up being another sheep that died. They think that's natural causes or something um, that ended up getting fed on by. I don't know if it was wolves or a cat. I can't remember. But anyways, that was a week or two after we left. Um, and I think that I didn't was, see that one. I think that was right there at the confluence. 
So it mm-hmm. would it would have been really close, but yeah. A lot of this we all talk about, right? It's just timing, and you just you just got to go when you can go, and hopefully you hit it right. And you know, if you can spend four or five days, you're more than likely going to have one or two pretty decent days, and two or three not so decent days. It's just kind of how it goes, you know. And the guys that are up there for two weeks, they're going to come away with some pretty good portfolio shots. But yep. Yep. you know, all that action took place in different twenty minute segments. You know, that's the that's the reality of it. Is you're not you're not going to keep shooting all the time and you just got to find the right opportunities. And sometimes you sit on them and sometimes you move on and look right. for the next. And that's why it's impossible to do video, you know, without like a shot over because by the time you get your stuff set up, mm-hmm. it's over. And then you're dealing with right. all the people too. And it's just hard to stay out of everybody's way and then be far enough away that you hope that something comes to you and you're not trying to chase it. So it's just tough. We did see, and it was, you know, it was fortunate that nobody got hurt, but the craziest accident on an icy road I have ever seen in my lifetime, and I, we got video of it, but the guy slid off the road in a brand new Ford Raptor, probably oh. a rental, but he slid off the road down the side of the hill and went, did not hit a tree, went in between two trees, one about a foot off the front bumper and one about a foot off the back bumper. Insane. Never hit anything. I don't know how he got there. I don't know how they got the truck back out because he was just completely jammed between those trees. No kidding. But, you know, like I said, fortunately, everybody was okay. And yeah, it was it was crazy. We'll put the we'll put the clip. Was that up. in the park itself? Yeah, it was. It was in the park. It was. Yeah, well, it was on that northern highway. That's where we were. We didn't go into the interior at all, so we were just along that northern. See, that's why you need to have a Toyota. The whole time. You don't get going fast enough to slide off the road. <laughs> <laughs> if you're in one of those big old Ford uh, Raptors, man, you get you got some power. Yeah, and I don't. It obviously he wasn't going too fast because he would have he would have slid a lot further than he did. I think he just probably just caught the edge of the road and it sucked him off. But well, but like you just, said, Ron, I mean it's hard to it's hard to get a picture in your mind. But the truck would would barely have fit through the trees it did, and he had to yeah. go be going fast enough to get through the trees before he slid, and he didn't hit a single tree. And then based on when we came back by, the wrecker had already been there and got him out. And all of us were just blown away by how this wrecker got this truck out of there. Yeah. You know, that with, fast. With that fast without, <laughs> probably without hitting a tree, you know. So, anyways. <laughs> yeah, there was no bark, no bark shed right. in the making of that video. That's right. So, you didn't get video of the actual accident. You just got video of the, what was No, it, it was aftermath. Yeah. Just the truck sitting there. But, yeah, you guys will be amazed at, and, and again, I don't want to, belittle anybody's misfortune but everybody was okay and yeah. it it turned out all right and that i i'm still flabbergasted <laughs> <laughs> all right so what's coming up what what do you guys got planned for i guess turkeys right and then grouse turkeys grouse i've got a ton of people wanting to come for grouse and i'm i'm maxed out at this point 
And if you're listening, there's somebody that sent me an email and I inadvertently deleted it. So if I did not respond to your email that you send me, please send me another one. I apologize. It's gone. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so just uh, anybody that didn't get a response yeah, didn't from Ron even... needs to contact Ron. That could be a whole lot of people. Correct. <laughs> but only if you've only if you've tried before. <laughs> hey, uh, we still have that promotion right. going on with a precision camera, so we should just throw that out there. And then we also have. I talked with our our bear trip uh, guy that's helping us get that all set up, and we're totally full now for the first run. The second run, which is later in the in the summer. So the first one is early summer, like the end of May. The last one is going to be like the last part of August. That one's got four spots left. So if anybody wants to go, go to our website. And that'll be fishing bears. Probably so. I don't know. They both have really good opportunities for different things. And it's definitely going to be different because it won't be any fishing on the first one. But there's the chance of a lot of cubs and and big males and mating mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. The last trip is going to be yeah, more fishing bears. If you're into that kind of uh, thing. Which part? <laughs> yeah, mating, mating bears. bears. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, everybody's out looking for mating wolves, so I'm sure people want it. True. Yeah. yeah. True story. So um, four spots, and I think they'll go pretty fast. fast once we put stuff out there or start talking about it. But if you definitely want to do a bear trip, this is the way to do it. Cause we'll be able to go to places that a lot of other people won't go to. Like a lot of these places you can't fly to, you know, they're just exposed enough where you can't mm -hmm. land a float plane. And then it's also, you can't get on a wheeled plane, you know, with the tides and stuff like that. So we could get into some places where there's not a lot of people and it could be really good. And just being on the boat is pretty cool and definitely comfortable so if anybody wants to do that check it out on the website and you can just contact dave ak adventures directly and, and get stuff set up with him but he wasn't worried about it he's like ah we'll fill those up no problem so if you're into it i would do that sooner than later and then as far as precision i don't know if anybody's taking anybody up on it but or taking precision up on this but they're doing the extra 10 percent that they'll pay you for your used gear so if anybody's in the, you know, the new Apple computers just came out, what was it, today or yesterday? And then there's a lot of new Canon yeah. stuff that came out with, what, that 800 and then the 1200. And so if you're liquidating gear, so this might be a good opportunity to send it to those guys, get your extra 10%, and then just buy your new lens directly from them, just basically get a credit. Jason, you had something. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to mention that we have the we have an African safari that we're working on to um, uh, July 14th to the 24th. And there's actually only two spots left on that. But if anybody's interested in that, um, I think Mike will have it up on the on the page, the, the trip page there. Um, but just know that there's only two spots left for this year. Um, and if you need, if you're interested, just reach out to myself. Um, or if you see it on that page, there'll be contact information on there as well. So, I had a, a loon workshop that I'm going to do with Stan Tequila in Minnesota. 
and that filled up in about 30 seconds. I sent out, I sent out two texts, and it was full. <laughs> wow! So next year there'll be more coming, and next year there'll probably be some bears along with it, and uh, you know a lot of bird opportunities: wading bird, birds with chicks, uh, loons and grebes with chicks, and then some black bears as well. So keep an eye out for that. So workshops are going well. There's a lot of looking forward to getting out with a lot of different people, new, some new people, some people that I've been out with before and can't wait to see what happens with these Alaskan trips. It's something that we'd like to continue to do. Back to the precision camera thing. That was, you had to type in wild and exposed in the more information spot. Here it is. Yeah, there's something that says more information. So just type in wild and exposed to get an extra 10% off or an extra 10% for your used gear if you're, if you're wanting to sell something. And all the links are on the show notes page and they're on other show notes pages. So you can click that link. It'll take you to their used gear spot. Type in wild and exposed under more information. Get your extra 10% and go buy your 8056. Right? Isn't that what it is? Or the twelve hundred. Or the twelve hundred F eight for twenty thousand. But it's super light. Or, or you could buy a car, or just buy <laughs> gas for your car for the next year. Right? <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> a couple tanks of gas. All right. So yeah, the Africa. Mm. Oh, go ahead. They're coming out. They're coming out with a 200 to 500 with a built-in 1.4. So Ron will have a kidney up for auction. If you are type A positive, give me a call. Is that for real? Or is you just dreaming that up? They've got the, they've got the, no, they've got the patent and they've announced that they're working on it. So it, it was a developmental announcement, not a, not a completion release announcement. 200 to 500 F4? With a 1.4. Mm-hmm. With a built-in 1.4. Wow. Yep. So you'd be 700 at F6 or F5.6. That's, that's pretty good. No, that's that's the lens. I mean, you wouldn't need anything else. 70 to 200, right. that. And a 28 to 70. Your R arsenal would be full. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, and it would probably be much lighter than the 200 to 400 that they have right now with the 1.4, because I think that thing is like 13 pounds, right? Correct. Using that new technology. Yeah, that thing's yeah. heavy. Hmm. Yeah, we talked about it. The 800, I think, is the same weight and size as the 600. So, mm-hmm. or really close. It may not be exact. Which is but... about, what, three pounds lighter than the previous version? Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty impressive. So... Well, and you guys just saw the announcement on this new Mac computer, and I know, Jason, you were kind of talking about getting a new computer. If you're looking at a desktop, right? I don't think there's any – you need to go any further. I mean, they still haven't come out with the Mac Pro version of this new stuff, but the version they just came out with is, came out with is called the what, Ron? It's the Mac Ultra? No, Studio. Ultra – yeah, it's a studio with the M1, M1 Ultra. Yep. I don't know. 
they put two chips together. Mm-hmm. It's going to be super fast. It, when I was watching the announcement this morning, it said, and may, correct me if I'm wrong, Ron, if you watched it. Didn't it say it could play 18 streams of 4K all together? So if you had a timeline that was running at the same time tracks, yeah. it would play all that without a hiccup. Or was it 4K or 8K? Maybe it was 8K. 4K, 18, no, so 18, if you could 4K. So say nine 8K tracks. And it'll play 8K. I'd probably, I would say probably two. 8K <laughs> takes up a lot more memory than, but it you can edit your 8K seamlessly, basically, is what it allows you to do, which somebody was going to have to come out with because there's all these 8K cameras now that are available and, to be able to edit that footage and this is at a pretty reasonable price i mean it's it's not as much as the iMac and and not as much as the uh, laptop either so yeah well the, it, the hot Pro. rod that had like 128 gigabytes of ram is what 20 3500 3, oh yeah. wow that's actually really reasonable yeah with yeah with 128 and the um and then the mo- you still need a monitor on top of that, but if you have your monitor, you're you're set. It's definitely the cheapest way to get into that ecosystem if you're not hmm. there already. Or to so if you're like it. me and you don't ever take your computer in the field, then this is a pretty good way to go. I think so, and it's only yep. Well, a box that's about this big, maybe seven inches a by any box. Yeah. Yep. Oh, like are you a, serious? Yeah. So <laughs> it saves you all kinds of desk space, also. Wow. Yep. Just what I need. Something else to spend money on. Yeah, we'll spend <laughs> your money, Jason. <laughs> All right. So after the turkeys and then the the grouse, what do you guys got going on? Jason, you're going to Africa. Is that trip, the 14th through the 24th, the one that you're going to be on too, or are you doing two? Yes, sir. No, that's the one I'm going to be on. Um, like I said, we have only two slots available, but this is kind of a – uh, trial run, if you will, for a potential another safari for next year. Um, so anybody that's interested in going this year, um, we're going with a person that's done it many times and understands what they're doing. Um, and it should be a great experience. And then we're looking at that as an opportunity to hold another one next year. So if there's even interest for next year, feel free to reach out to me and, you know, we can talk about, uh, you know, holding slots. It would be fun to go on that one with so. you just because it's your first time over there too. I mean, you guys are going to be like, kids in a candy store right you just wake up absolutely giddiness yep. every day <laughs> i will be filling up memory cards absolutely with that whatever i see i'll be shooting i'm sure just because it's all going to be new you better so, take a computer on that one just so you can i, I might take up. a laptop just to back up stuff or, <laughs> or buy about 40 batteries yeah. and that was the plan 100 uh, cf express cards <laughs> yeah i think i'll yeah. just take a I do have a laptop I can take. It's just not one I'd want to edit on. So, <laughs> so do you know what? Where is well, it yeah, going? Yeah, no, that should and be then, fun. Um, what are the kind of the target species? So we are going to be in South Africa. We'll be flying into Johannesburg. We are going to. It's nine days on safari. Uh, we are going to be spending our part our time in Kruger National Park in three different areas. So the way it's set up is essentially three days in each of these three areas. So the whole idea is to get a pretty broad, um, you know picture of what Kruger offers so we should be able to see just about anything and everything right um, 
there's rules within Kruger that you have to abide by, which we'll, we'll have to abide by, obviously. Um, but beyond that, I just, you know, that it should just be an incredible experience. We're staying, I think, in a lodge for part of the trip, and then the other three, the other two uh, locations were in the tent setups. So um, all high-end stuff, you know, all good meals and price points, very, very reasonable. Um, you know, it's all inclusive other than your airfare to get over there. So, so the, but all that information will be posted in the, in that, and the, on the page there that I'll get to you, Mike. But, okay. And then the high end tent camping is, that means you have a shower. I mean, you're in a tent, but you're in a kind of a big wall tent and then there's right, actually a shower yes. there. So you don't, it's not like, it's really not like it's glamping. No. It's glamping. Yes. That's a good way to put it for sure. <laughs> with really good meals and all that good stuff, you know, so they, they take good, really good care of you when you're over there. And so, then how many people are going to be on that trip? Do you know? Um, I think this one, this year we are, we have it set up to where we can, we'll be, I got to do the math real quick in my head. I think there's going to be 10 of us. Um, we'll, we'll have, um, two, two vehicles that we will be, you know, that are already set up for us. And so we probably would set up next year to do roughly the same number um as well so so yeah if somebody's interested it, it's a great opportunity um you know uh, just get a hold of myself um and we can make sure you're taken care of but but then other other than africa you know mike for me in the spring it's i always like to try to get up to the park for bears spring bears and things of that nature um and i'm definitely going to go do lizards again so i'm i'm excited as about that as i am anything else this <laughs> spring to be honest with you so um I'm doing yep. lizards this year. I'm not missing <laughs> it. That's going to be in between becoming a father-in-law and becoming a grandfather. <laughs> That's right. So I'm going to need a, <laughs> something to get away. <laughs> and then what are you doing, Ron, after? Well, I've got a busy uh, a full plate of people shooting grouse, and then I've got to uh, – I wanted to get out to the crane migration again. I found a, a really good blind opportunity, well, actually private opportunity that we could make our own blinds. So um, that is definitely going to have to be on the plate for next year and go down and get some good footage of the uh, the sand hills. And then in June, I've got that loon workshop, so I'll be headed out to Minnesota. And then after that, you know, July is uh bison i I definitely am going to hit the bison rut this year whether it's in yellowstone or elsewhere and and get some footage of that as well and then we'll kind of just see what the what the year brings for filming opportunities but those are the ones that i know of right now and i really want to get back to alaska this fall because i i've missed it the last couple (laughs) and jason too right uh, I am yeah. I am gonna do everything I can to make that trip that I didn't get to do this last year happen. Um, to come out and visit with you, Mike. Um, you know there in in you know whatever it was in the early October. Yeah, late September, early October. I think is yeah. what it was, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah. So, man, I can't believe we're talking about that already. Years just fly by every year. <laughs> they do. <laughs> The problem is, is I'm never not thinking about it. <laughs> it's just when we get these opportunities to visit about it, that's, and that's what happens when you're planning your year. 
this far ahead and now you know the workshop stuff you've got to plan a little bit further out because you've got to work around all those other dates so and I don't have the I don't know 80 weeks of vacation Jason is that how much you get <laughs> I wish I, I just get paid to go out and take photos you know <laughs> There's only 52 in the year, but Jason's got 80 <laughs> built up. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's hard, too, when you're watching those videos like I was just talking about earlier with uh, Jimmy B's, and you just it just puts you in the place, and you're like, ah, I just want to be out there doing that. It's just nothing better than. Yeah. Want to just experience it. Yeah. It's... Yeah, but as long as we're out there doing something, and it, it, at March – in the lower 48, March is probably the toughest. Well, not all across the lower 48, but definitely Colorado and New Mexico. Well, Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, it's pretty slow in March. Well, didn't you do wild horses one year? Except grouse. Grouse and turkeys. Grouse and turkeys and wild horses, yeah. too. Yeah. April's, April's probably the slow month, in my opinion, for all this area out here because the grouse is starting to slow down and, you know, and there's not really a lot else going on. The ungulates aren't really growing much. And, you know, so, and then, but April starts to get good for bears potentially. And this year it probably will be really good for bears, you know, mid, mid May or mid April to early May. Um, and then all of May is good for bears. Right. So, I mean, it's, from my perspective, it's April's kind of the slow time. Um, but I usually go out and try to do horses in, in April or something like that, you know, so just local, local right. opportunities. When is the grass over with? They'll go clear through April. Yeah. But it'll be it, the hens when the hens get bred. I mean, a lot of times those late April dates, you'll get out there and the males will be on the lack, but they'll just be sitting in the sagebrush unless a hen comes by that, you know, maybe lost a clutch or or is coming into a second cycle, and then they'll get active again. But a lot of times those late April dates, they're just hanging out. You know, they'll strut beat their but there won't be the fighting there won't be the you know the heavy activity right. like you'll get earlier but you can get out then and start watching your prairie dog towns and looking for uh swift fox then or coyote pups you know that kind of thing so that's that's when the scouting starts for that kind of stuff but the photography opportunities are slowing down a little bit and turkeys will go clear into may too sure yeah. but same thing you know it's it's just those second cycles so you're getting a little bit more limited opportunities than what you might have had before well and all these birds right turkeys too they're they're a little easier to photograph when it's the heat of the action because they're not so concerned about everything that's going on around them just like elk right. sheep deer everything else right and when it's kind of the tail end or the early you know the you know i already went out looking for turkeys last weekend or the weekend before last actually sorry and found a bunch of birds strutting already, but they definitely didn't want to have anything to do with me. You know, they were running up the mountain as soon as I even pretty much showed up. So, um, you know, another, you know, this weekend, we'll probably be able to get into pretty, some pretty good action. So we'll see. But. All right. So what were we, were we going to do a uh, pro tip? Yeah, sure. I've got one. You start. You've already done a free one. Yeah, I'll start. What the heck? So mine's another gear one. It's really easy. I just got these. Actually, a buddy of mine, Kelly Elmer, who talked about, he's on the podcast before, turned me on to. And I don't know why I've never found these things before, but they're really super cool. Um, and I don't know if anybody else has this issue, but 
when a lot of times I like to keep my lens hood extended, especially like, you know, Ron's got his back there behind him. Um, it's extended, ready to roll. Um, and doing the way, center of the way he's got it there, it's not an issue as far as covering the hood or keeping the lens clean. But, uh, lens coat makes a product that's, uh, it's called a rain cap. And it's just a super lightweight, um, you know, flexible. You pull it over. We can, I can send you a link, Mike, and we can put it in the show notes. But, um, and you just pull it over your hood and it cinches down and, and it does a really good job of just covering it. So even when you're in the field, right, and you're just, hauling back getting getting out of the field or something you can just throw that lens that rain cap over your lens and keeps the dust out keeps the rain out um works great and you know when it's extended your standard lens hood you know when it's when it's stowed fits fine but when it's extended it doesn't fit so well especially if you've got a coat or you know or a lens cap or a sorry a lens coat or anything on it so this this works great to solve that problem it's they're 20 bucks a piece you, you know you can get them on the website they make a large and a small and you know pretty much cover any lens that you're hauling around so that's my pro tip they come in a ton of different colors too so that's like a shower cap for your lens yeah exactly that's all it is is a shower cap for your lens it works great too it really does they're super convenient when you're not using it you literally can just put it in your pocket and you know it's not a big hassle to haul around and keep track of and everything so i like it i'm gonna order some how about you, Alaska? I was up on this shoot, and I was working with this guy who has just a crazy amount of gear. And I'm like, how do you keep track of all this stuff? And he's like, I don't know. And I know he doesn't because stuff is, like, all over the place, and he's not sure if it's, if, you know, he'll, he'll rent gear out, too. And it's like, is there something over here that he hasn't got back yet? Or, and I'm like, how do you manage it? He's like, I have no clue. I said, well, we ought to look and see if we can at least find something. And I did. I found some pretty expensive inventory stuff for something like he's doing where he's renting gear out. But in my process of looking for that, I found this other piece of or It's an app. It's free. I found it online, and it's Fronos. Fronos Photo. It's called My Gear Vault. Mm-hmm. And so what you can do is put all your gear in oh, there. Yeah. You can uh, put serial numbers. You can put a picture of your receipt in there. You can put the amount you paid for it, the day you bought it. And it just seemed like a good way to manage all the gear. And then you, I haven't dug into it too much, but you can create kits. So if you're like, oh, I'm going to go do this, you can pull up that kit and then just make sure you've got everything packed and ready to go or you don't forget something. I think it's not robust enough for what the guy I was working with for his stuff because he just has way too much. But I think for any one of us that has you know, up to what, 10, 15 major pieces of equipment. And then, but all the little cables and all the little stuff that's so easy to forget or just manage, I thought it'd be kind of cool to put my system in there and just see how it works. But if you're not using it, and I think the reason it's free, I haven't dug this far into it yet, but the reason it's free is I think they sell insurance. So I think once you put all your stuff in there, and if you're putting the the amounts in there, then they, then they, I think so. Then they'll send and you. He a must quote. get some sort of kickback to give it away for free. Because I didn't, you know, I thought, okay, it's going to be free. But then there's all these in-app purchases that you're going to have to have, where you pay a subscription to for, you know, up to, you know, a hundred pieces of equipment or something. But I haven't found that yet. So if it is indeed free, it's cool and it's a good resource to have. And then if you do need insurance, maybe that's a good way to go. I don't know. But I, I have people ask me all the time about insurance. So 
it, I'm going to follow up on it and just see how it works for me and then I'll report back. But just finding it, I thought was kind of cool and it might be something that we could all use. And it's called My Gear Vault. That's cool. I think I actually have that and I've tried it before and just had a hard time keeping up with it. But yeah, it's a really good tool. <laughs> That's the problem, right? right it's like, yep. oh, I got this cable. I guess I should spend 15 minutes in, right. in putting it into my system. Exactly. <laughs> And who wants to do that when you have 600 cables? <laughs> but if you want to manage it, like you said, it is a good tool. It's just being disciplined to use it. So, And it is. I mean, once you get to a certain level and you've got quite a, min quite a bit of money wrapped up in all this stuff, you do want to have the right insurance. And a lot of times you're, what do they call it? You're a writer. What do they call that? Is that an insurance yeah, writer? Insurance writer, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're putting it on your house. I mean, if you're making any sort of money at all, they could totally get out of that rider and not have to pay you. So if you're trying to sell images, but you're still trying to slide in under, chances are you'd be all right, but who knows? I mean, you could end up not having the right insurance. And if you buy specific equipment insurance, I think that's a better way to go if you can afford it. Well, yeah, because it is cheaper. And then if you make a... Right, it, go ahead. Ryan. Sorry, Jason. No, you're good. I was going to say, if you make a claim, it doesn't go against your house if you've got gear insurance. Yep. Rather than having that rider, the what do they call it? I think they put it under like mm. a boat policy. Um, your camera gear, yeah. or that's what they call it. Yeah. But yeah, that goes against that can increase the, you know, the cost of your homeowner's insurance if you make a claim or two on your photo equipment. So that's another consideration. Jason, what did you? What were you going to say? You hit the nail on the head. I was going to say the same thing. You know, a lot of people will say that they're, well, my gear, if it gets stolen out of my car, then it's covered under my automo automobile insurance. And if it gets stolen out of my house or there's a house fire, it's covered under my house insurance. And all that's true. But what this insurance does for you that that doesn't is it covers, it also covers, you know, damage and drops and all that kind of stuff if you get the right insurance. And it does mm -hmm. save you from having to pay any kind of deductibles or having your car and or your house insurance go up when you claim it on there. So I think it's smart to... Yeah have your own insurance when you get enough gear, for sure. Peace of mind. When you're climbing up the side of a mountain, it's really steep and you're 300 feet above the valley floor and you slip and let go of your camera and it pulls all the way to the bottom. And I didn't you know, let go. I know. You went with it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> and then that guy was yelling up out of the sunroof of his car, but you're glad you didn't take that red up there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I did. I did say that. <laughs> Uh, what's yours wrong mine with with the season that's coming up the type of photography that we do in the spring mine is get yourself a good photo blind or uh even just a ghillie blanket you can buy ghillie blankets from uh, trago pan makes those photo blinds you can buy the ghillie blankets from them as well or you can find you know find a ghillie suit at your local sporting goods store and they do make a huge difference when you're in the field just a straight ghillie suit with not much draped over my camera. Pronghorn are notoriously spooky, and I've literally had pronghorn feeding within about 10 feet behind, behind me. Behind you? Um, well, that doesn't help. Behind me. <laughs> of course, not. Right. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> Unless you're not shooting pronghorn. I'm shooting grouse, and the pronghorn oh. come right up to me. Because they 
Maybe they you need to pay attention to backwards on your hat. I probably <laughs> should, because then you guys would believe me when I tell you what's making that noise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to run a lot of GoPro this year, actually. I've got a, a couple things that I really want some close-up footage of, and this year I'm going to get out early enough to get some GoPros in place. And the one thing to be said for that, maybe a little bonus side um pro tip is if you're going to be out shooting you know typically grouse it's daylight till about nine in the morning they'll start feeding and and then fly off to their daytime cover but if if you want to run that gopro for three hours the gopro battery is not going to last more than about 30 40 minutes so get yourself a little brick battery um plug that in just lay it flat on the ground you can cover it up if you think you need to run the cable right into the charging port of the gopro you can keep that open keep that door open and extend the life of your filming opportunities with those gopros during the day I did that on the shoot that i was on last summer and can't tell you how effective that was in getting good footage when you know I would have been done before the sun ever came up because we were setting up way before the sun came up. So that's another little pro tip. Get out there, get some GoPro footage. Everybody wants video now, right? All these different platforms want video and everybody wants to see it. So I don't think you can, I don't think you can have too much. I agree. Shoot more. Jason, you're just going to have to throw a, maybe a whole head full of GoPros in Africa. <laughs> yeah. 360. Yeah, 360. I plan on having one. Hunter's going with we'll, me to Alaska. so We'll call it the Loftus 360 is what we'll call that camera. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody would be like grateful. At least it's not videoing him. That, that, that'll be a positive. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for listening and look forward to getting together with all of you in the field. You've been listening to the Wild and Exposed podcast. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating and a review. And make sure you're subscribed so that you'll get every episode we produce as soon as we drop it. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We're gonna make it someday. Nothing's gonna get in our way. We will be the biggest band in time.